nowhere fresher then. <laughs> yes, so uh, my name's Elena, and uh, I'm here with my husband Dan, who's on the third row over there. You can see him here. Uh, we both worked for a church in Scunthorpe, so I'm the children's pastor, Dan's the associate pastor, and we're both on the leadership team there as well. So um, kids work on the, high on the agenda at our church in Scunthorpe, which is why they hired me. And now they can't get rid of me, so it's even higher on the agenda. And, uh, and my office is adjoining to our senior pastor, so whenever I've got an issue, I just open the door and go, this needs to happen for the kids, okay. Um, and he, he just gets on with it, because who's going to fight with a strong-willed woman? No one. Um, so I, uh, Dan and myself have been married for nearly four years. Uh, we started out life in Rotherham which is where I was, um, well I, didn't, I wasn't born there, but I grew up there, spent the majority of my life there, um, and I became the um, outreach children's pastor when I was 17, and then fully fledged children's pastor at 19. Um, first like major paid job as well, um, which was a bit crazy and a bit scary. Um, and I worked on an estate called Canclo, which was with um, pretty rough kids. Um, on a regular basis, ties were slashed, fireworks thrown through the windows. Um, I went home with bruises on regular occasions. My mum and dad were just like, are you sure for your life you still want to do this job? And I'm like, yeah, won't do anything else. Um, and actually it got to a point where if someone threatened me, my kids would protect me and it was amazing. Um, I loved those children. They became like my children. Um, and I do still miss them. And they were really rough, like rough and ready kids. And I love the kids I work with now, but they're all really middle class. Um, <laughs> and the, the big problems that they come to you with is, oh miss, my iPad won't load. Um, and I'm like, okay, no problem, that's fine. You don't need an iPad in kids' church. Um, and as you can see, we are the proud parents of two sausage dogs. <laughs> um, we've got Frankie, who's our biggest one. She's two. And we've got Albie, who's six months old. And we love them both a lot. Sausage dog love runs in our family. If you know my dad, you'll know that they have two. And wherever they go, my dad talks more about the sausage dogs than he does about his three children. Um, so that's us. That's, that's our... That's our lives. Um, we are about to buy our first home together. Um, we've, we've been renting forever and a day. And uh, we're about to, we put an offer in on a house yesterday and it was accepted. So I'm really oh, excited. Brilliant. Congratulations, um, come on. So yeah, I'm kind of on a bit of a high at the minute. So um, hopefully that carries through. Um, so a bit about me and my background. Um, I brought up in church. My dad was a pastor of a church when I was born. Um, I became a Christian at the age of four. Um, so Ian talking about kids kind of coming to God, 80%, 90% of kids before they're 18, I fully have seen that and I'm one of those. Um, both me, my brother and sister all came to Jesus before the age of six. Um, so we, we, you know, all, we love Jesus, I love Jesus incredibly. Um, and I've never walked away from him. I don't have one of these crazy stories where like, um, I, I became a Christian, then I walked away and got into drugs, alcohol, sex, rock and roll. Um, I was a really good kid. <laughs> I was really well behaved. I was a bit of a nightmare for my mum and dad at times, but I was really well behaved. I loved church. And um, at the age of 11 years old, my mum and dad said to me, what team are you gonna serve in at church? I didn't have a choice. I had to serve on a team at church. So I chose the computer team and the kids team and kids team stuck. Um, and at that church, I became the kids pastor for the first time, which was amazing. Um, 
and you'll learn quite quickly about me. I'm really passionate about food. Um, I'm big into nutrition and nutritional science, a bit geeky, but I proper love it. Um, and that'll come across in some of what I talk about today. Um, I love sausage dogs. I love my husband Dan, we're not sure which order it comes in, um, just depends on the day I guess. Um, and I passionately love Jesus and I love his children. Um, and I am in a very, very privileged position to be paid to do the work that I do. I know that it's not all that common, I know that often churches may not have the finance to do it, but they also may not see the need for it, um, which is really sad as someone that loves church and mm. loves children yeah. and wants children to know Jesus, yeah. um, I feel, as Ian said, it should be the most important thing. Um, so my first thing that I want to talk about is why kids' ministry is important. Is it important? Well, yes, we've already discovered it is, and you wouldn't be here if you didn't think it was important. And um, one of the, the big reasons I think kids' ministry is important, so I, I, I did um, a six-year degree, it was part-time, which is why it took six years. I'm not just really stupid. Um, it, I did, uh, it took me six years to do it whilst working, whilst we got married in the midst of that, whilst moving house, all that crazy sort of stuff. Um, and my degree was fully on children, fully childhood. A lot of people were like, well, why don't you go and do a theology degree? And I'm like, because I know the Bible's important, but my head just does not work that way. Um, and children is what I'm passionate about. So I did a childhood degree, I graduated last year, finally. Um, and one of the things that I learned through that was about all the developmental stages of children. And I got really passionate about the fact that we get to be part of those developmental stages. As kids workers, as kids pastors, as people in church, we get to be part of that and it's awesome. Um, so by the age of 10 years old, a child's core values which shape their beliefs later on in life are formed by the age of 10. And there's science backing up that that might be getting younger because of how quickly yeah. children are growing up. Yeah. So you know by looking outside for five minutes that our kids are growing up super quick with technology yeah. is advancing that, with the conversations that are being had, with even like well-meaning parents at wanting to make sure that their children aren't caught out by what the world is saying, we speed up the process in which children grow up. But that means that we as kids, pastors, workers, friends of children, we are in a really unique position because um, we get to be part of that initial core development stage. Yeah. And why wouldn't we take advantage of that? Yeah, you know, why wouldn't we make the most of that position that we're in? Because if we wait until they've gone up to youth, or we wait until they're 18 and in our young adults ministry or whatever they're doing, we've missed some of the most yeah. vital parts yeah. of their growth. And, and we don't want to do that. We want to, we want to capture the imagination and the creativity. We want to capture the hearts of these children. We want them to know who Jesus is for themselves because it's so important. And if we get these foundations in, hopefully they, they will carry these children through. Because important brain pathways, they're established through childhood. And a lot of them are established by the age of seven. Our pathways, a lot of them, are established by seven. So you're, um, whether you are a gift person or a touch person, that will have been established by the time you were seven. Whether you um, kind of enjoy um, sport or not, that will have been established by seven. Whether you um, like words of affirmation, whether you are confident, introvert, extrovert, 
seven years old, a lot of those pathways are kind of implemented. Now, they can be changed. They can be... Um, things do change. And actually, up until the age of 15, there's a really intense period of time where there's really intense brain reorganization. Um, but by the age of 15, the brain becomes a lot more structured and a lot, a lot harder to change. It becomes less pliable. It's, it's less like Play-Doh and it's a bit more like Lego. You know, you kind of have to work quite hard to change it. Whereas with a, a child's brain, it's quite easy to change some of those pathways and change some of their thoughts and help them. <coughs> And not only is that the science, but the Bible is totally backed up by this science because the Bible tells us that we should point our kids in the right direction and when they're old, they won't be lost. If we put those foundations in, as children, when they are adults, even if they walk away from God, even if they choose a different path, they've had the foundations put into their lives that will call them back. They won't be able to escape it. And that's what we want. We don't want them to be able to escape Jesus and the love of him and their knowledge that they know that they need him because they can never escape Jesus's love but trying to, they can try and convince themselves that they don't need Jesus and actually we know that they do and if we can teach children early on that Jesus loves them that he has a hope and a future for them he has a purpose for them and actually help them to discover who Jesus is for them not who Jesus is is for you as their kids leader not who Jesus is for their maybe their parents or carers or the grown-ups around them, because grown-ups seem really kind of far off to kids. We want them to know Jesus for themselves, yeah. mm -hmm. personal relationship with him. There's um, a quote, which is one of my favourite quotes of all time, by Frederick Douglass, and it says this, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken adults. And we are in the business of building strong children. We are in the business of changing the lives of children before craziness kind of hits. And, and I know that we, we come across kids who have already experienced severe trauma. They've already come across really difficult times. I've worked with tens and tens of children who have... You just kind of look at them and go, you should never have experienced this, especially at this age. Like, what, what is our world coming to when you've already experienced this? But it's much easier to, to love and build up and protect children than it is to repair a broken adult. And if we as kids ministry leaders, if we as kids workers do our job well... Yeah. It makes the senior pastor's job much easier. Amen. And that's how, kind of how I justify my job <laughs> to my senior pastor. I remember sitting with him. I'm a little bit gutsy. I'm a little bit fiery. And I kind of sat with him and he was talking about kids ministry, this, that and the other. And I just said, well, I need a bigger budget. And he was like, uh, now, come on, church, budgets. Come on, Elena. And I was like, no, because if I do my job right, your job's easier. Because you have less broken adults to deal with because you've got wholesome children. Come on, yeah. Great. So when you say children, children's ministry is the foundation, I'm like, amen to yeah. that. I am with you on that because I, I told my senior pastor of both churches I work for, children's ministry should be the most important ministry that you invest into. Amen. And one of them looked at me and went, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. And the other one went, you're 100% right. And he invests time energy finance into our kids ministry and that's why we're seeing it grow when i took on our kids ministry in 
March 2017, there was an average of six children coming every week, and last week we had 37. Oh, and on. like, it's not numbers, numbers are not important, but actually each number represents an individual, and each individual is hearing about Jesus yes. each week, each individual is being loved and cared for in a Christian environment each week for at least an hour. And to me, that's so important, because we can't control the influences of the world outside. But we can control what we put into them. Yeah. We can control that kids' church environment on a Sunday morning for an hour long, however long you have yours. If you have it for more than an hour, I salute you. Oh my goodness, you are bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> but if we can, if we can make that environment good for them, if we can make sure it's wholesome and healthy, then we are helping to change their world because. Yeah. As adults, we preserve the way that we respond. We, we have a certain way that we will respond to people and to things. And the only way that our way as adults, the only way we change the way we think is if something powerful happens to change it. Yeah. And thankfully, Jesus is that powerful. Yeah. He can change it. And we've seen adults' lives changed like that. Yeah. Maybe you're one of those people as an adult. Your life was changed because of the love of Jesus. But how much easier is it if we get to that? before we're adults. How much easier is it to change that stuff? Because things can be changed in adulthood, but prevention is better than a cure. Yeah. And I'm so far that I don't want our kids to kind of get lost in youth or get lost as, as adults and kind of go, well, no one gave me the foundation. We will give you that foundation. So um, when I took on our kids' ministry in Scunthorpe, um, a little... Uh, steel industry town. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Scunthorpe. Um, I, when we were asked to move there, I looked at the our senior leader and I looked at him and went, "What? Why would I move to Scunthorpe? It doesn't even sound nice." Um, and literally, I was expecting to turn up to Scunthorpe and it'd be like grey everywhere and people to be walking around in black and white and like I just was like, "I'm going back into olden times." Um, and turned up, it's actually really green. There's a lot of green space in Scunthorpe, I was really surprised. But it is um, a steel workers town, and um, with that, there's quite a lot of challenges. If you've ever worked in a mining town, which I did in Rotherham, um, or a steel working town, you will know that it makes it, ha it harder. Like, people are a bit more closed off, they're a bit more edgy, they're a bit more like, you have to work to earn our trust. And it's taken me two years to work to earn some of the trust of the schools in our area, um, and suddenly, this year, it's just exploded. Mm. And I've worked and I've earned their trust, and now they want me in all the time. And yeah. I'm like, guys, I don't have enough hours in a day. <laughs> like, um, teaching our e-lessons, which is crazy. Like, being allowed to talk about Jesus really openly, um, which I never expected. But it's been incredible. But when I started three years ago, I kind of sat and I said to God, look, I don't want to just carry on doing what I did in Rotherham. What do you want for these kids? What do you want for this town? Because um, we, as a church, believe that God's calling us to transform our town, to transform people and places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. And um, I wanted that to, to obviously carry over into the kids' ministry. And they've not really had anyone leading it for a few years. They, they got some lovely people that had kind of maintained it, um, but nothing had changed, nothing was different. And I didn't just want to walk in like a wrecking ball because I can be a bit like that. And my dad is from Ireland. My mum has um, Welsh blood in her and I'm a Yorkshire girl. And so, you know, <laughs> there's all this like, 
fiery Celtic blood in me, and then my Yorkshireness as well. Um, and so I, I wanted to make sure I was sensitive to the Holy Spirit in all of it, and sensitive to the church and to the team. And there were three things that I felt that God asked of me um, when we moved there, and I wanted to, to share these with you guys, and hopefully inspires you, and maybe you can take bits from it that you go, oh, that works, or you might sit and go, well, that would never work for our kids, but I don't really understand where she's coming from, and that's fine. So the first thing that God said to me, and it was all down the lines of feeding, because I'm such a foodie person, um, God speaks to me in ways I understand, usually with food and sausage dogs. Um, so the first thing that God said to me was to feed our kids spiritually. The most important thing that we should be doing, if we don't do that, then what's the point? We could just send our kids to a scouts club, or we could send them um, down the road to the local indoor play area, because they would have a great time. They would have a good hour play, they'd have fun, they'd probably make friends, they'd get some food, it'd be fun. But like the difference between us and stuff like that is that actually we've got Jesus and we've got this life transforming thing that we're trying to tell them about. Um, and so we need to feed our kids spiritually because it's not just good enough to tell them nice Bible stories. We need to actually encourage their journey. We need to disciple them. We need to teach them and help them to connect personally to Jesus. And um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how kind of we've done bits and pieces like this. Um, so one of the main things that I try and encourage our kids to do is actually bring their Bibles. Yeah. it's so hard they can they you know I, I spoke to one parent and she said to me oh it's just really difficult getting our kids to bring their bibles to church I went yeah but they bring their ipads every week <laughs> and she was like oh oh that's a really good point um I was like if they can remember their ipad they can jolly well remember their bible um and and I said to she said to me oh what if I download the bible onto the ipad now I'm not kind of against that in in principle but I was like please don't like, please, for kids' church, let's just get rid of the tablets, let's get rid of the phones, and let's, you know, yeah. use real Bibles. And um, as, as leaders, as teachers, I encourage my team, you must bring your Bible with you. Why, why should they if you don't? You know, why, why should they um, uh, go out of their way to get the Bibles out of their bedroom if you can't be bothered to bring yours as well? Because we're trying to um, show them that it's important. So we started getting them to bring their Bibles with them. Um, we introduced worship. So although we stay into worship in, in main church, in big church with the adults, um, and we, we introduced worship for the kids as well. And um, I found myself kind of, at the age of 17 when I took on kids' church, I was like, I'm going to be innovative, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going back to any of this old stuff that I used to do as a kid. I'm going forward. And then... Um, on Sunday, I was in kids' church, and I was like, our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. And the kids were just like, this is amazing. Um, and I was like, wow, this song is older than me. Um, and you guys love it. Um, and I was just like, sometimes the old stuff really works. Um, and so, like, yeah, I, I'm not against the, the fast-moving, you know, on-screen kid stuff. I'm, I'm for that. I love it. I love that it's made life easier for us in that sense, and it, it makes it easier if you're not someone that likes to do actions up front. Um, but sometimes I've found that some of the theology and some of the older things that we talk about is actually more helpful for our kids. And I don't want us to forget that that stuff's important. It's also helped us to connect older members of our team to our kids. Because, um, and I use this specific brand as an example because it's one of the most popular 
because Hillsong doesn't connect to some of our older generation in the same way. And so they're, they're, the Hillsong DVD's on screen and everyone's jumping and bouncing and, and like hair's going everywhere and kids are sweating and they're having a great time. And you've got like the grandparent generation in our kids' church, because we believe kids' church should be family. Uh, we've got our grandparent generation who are incredible. Couldn't do it without them. And, um, and they kind of sit there like, oh, yeah, no, this is really hard to follow. I hate it. Um, and bless her, one of our ladies, her name's Anne, she is an absolute trooper. I mean, she's just been fighting cancer and she's still been coming along to our kids' church. She's, she is an absolute hero. I love her. And um, she kind of sat there and went, Elena, I love what you do, but I hate the songs. <laughs> I was like, I hear you, Anne. I'm with you on that. So we've tried to kind of change some of that a little bit to help to connect our kids as well because some of our children don't have family nearby some of our children I, I'm I was like that I grew up without grandparents nearby and church provided me with that and I don't want to rob our kids of that because I'm so stuck in a specific way of doing kids church um, so we we have a certain we have a culture but with all these different flavors in it um, and so each teacher brings a different flavor to our kids church and and that's what we that's what we want um, and what we desperately don't want for our kids is for them to wait until they're adults to discover Jesus in the Bible. We desperately don't want to just have a nice babysitting class um, on a Sunday morning. Because let me just tell you, you're not babysitters. Are you being paid £7 an hour to be a babysitter? No. Um, like, if you're babysitting for people, unless you're doing it out of the goodness of your own heart. <laughs> when I was 17, people paid me. Now I go, no, it's okay. <laughs> It's fine, I'll babysit for you. Um, but we're not babysitters. We're not there just to mollycoddle these kids. We, we are there to impart truth and transformation into their lives. And um, there's a book that I read that really changed my way of looking at kids' ministry. And it's this book here, Kids of Jesus. And um, really short, small book, easy to read, easy to digest. But this book had some really practical takeaways in it for me. And um, I, I don't know if it's for sale here, but you can get it on the internet. You can kind of get it in, in lots of different book places. And it's a great book. It teaches um, us about the different developmental stages of children. But not only does it do that, this is the bit that I love the most about it, ideas for spiritual growth for that specific age. I'm like, oh, amazing. Um, especially if you're someone that kind of writes your own material or anything, this book is really helpful. But this book talks about the fact that... Um, often as as churches we can wait until someone's 18 and then we go right we want you to serve on a team right we want you to give in the offering right now you can take communion and 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 suddenly you hit 18 and you go what now you want my hard-earned money uh, what now you want me to give up my time and serve on a team and it can feel a little bit like we suddenly pounce on them and go right come on give to us We've, we've created this consumer environment for you for the last 18 years, and now suddenly we want you to get into the mindset of giving to us. And that's not what we want in kids' ministry. We want our kids to learn how to worship. We want them to learn how to serve in church. Why not let them be on the hospitality team? Why not let them um, kind of help on the worship team? 
why, you know, they don't have to be plugged in. If they can't play the instrument, that's really okay. Um, I'm okay with that. My, my brother, at the age of 11, was asked to play drums at our church. Now, drums you can't kind of unplug. He was an okay drummer. By the age of 13, he was incredible because he was playing on a regular, in fact, at one point, he was the only drummer and he was playing every single week. Um, but well, let's give our kids these chances to serve because then, then they realize that that's part of what family does. Yeah. Family serve together, family give together. We don't just go, okay, it's like the cinema. You come to the cinema for the first 18 years of your life and you sit and you enjoy and you are given to and you are looked after and then you hit 18 and now we want you to be the cinema attendant and you don't get to enjoy the program. What? Like, no. We want our kids to learn how to serve in church. We want, that's part of what being family is about. We want them to learn how to be part of it. So that, why not do offerings in kids' church? Why not teach them about the fact that we should be giving part of our money to God? Why not have a, or a reward system? I remember being in kids' church and when you used to get Smarties in the big tubes, they gave us the, the thing of Smarties you got to eat the thing of Smarties, and then you, to get another packet of Smarties, you had to fill it up with your coins throughout the week. And that taught me how to give. And I got something for it, and I think it helps our children to learn to give, but also give them a little bit of an incentive, because they're just like, but that's my 50p. Um, 50p's don't fit in the Smarties packet, so that's okay. You don't have to give you 50p. Um, but... Why, why wait until they're suddenly earning their own money in that sense? Why, why then say to them, well, now you have to give? Um, why not let's start that with that process now? Let's not, why not start with missions now? You know, okay, we might not be able to send you on a missions trip to India, um, but we can certainly send you on a missions trip to your school. That's what mission is. We want them to tell their friends about Jesus. Invite your friends to church. There are rewards for our children if they invite their friends to church. Because I go, you've invited your friend, here, have a reward, and so can your friend because they turned up. That's awesome. You guys are incredible. Thank you so much for coming to kids' church. Because we, want, we don't want them to, you know, as adults, we go, right, you need to invite people to church, people. Come on, we need to fill up pews. And we want people to hear about Jesus. And they're going, oh, I never had to do that before. This is, this is new. This is weird. Um, Let's not make it weird. Let's not have a huge disconnect between the age of 11 and the age of 12 and the age of 17 and the age of 18. Let's not have these huge disconnects. Um, get them to lead prayer in kids' church. I have been blown away by some of the prayers of our children. You know, kids come into us and go, Miss, my teacher's really sick. I need to pray for her. I go, go for it. And we'll say amen. We're with you. And some of our kids, genuinely, you know, Ian talked about a little girl who cried because he, he called her out. We've got kids like that too. Um, and that's okay. You don't have to pray out loud. We've had children before, and this is what's happened. And we've gone, okay, you're going to pray. And they go, yeah. <laughs> and we can be stood there for five, six minutes. And it's like... Yeah, I need to be really respectful because they are genuinely praying and then they get to the end and they go, okay, I'm done. And walk off. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I've learned so much from our children and actually I've been, I've been challenged by them before. Kind of, you know, that whole thing of, 
oh well are they old enough to really take communion and go to one of our kids well what, what, what does communion mean well it's because Jesus died for me oh oh I've been just convicted slightly a little bit all the time um, you know and convincing our servers at church to give communion to our children as well like it's not up to you to decide whether they understand this or not that's between them and Jesus and if what we can do is teach them what we can do is equip them with the knowledge of what communion means and hopefully that transfers into a heart knowledge as well um, we want our kids to be part of what we're doing because when when a child has ownership they are more likely to stay when a child feels like they are part of something bigger than themselves you see it with the generations that are coming up they said it of my generation the millennials um, and, and the generations below me of um, oh well they, they don't get involved in things but they, well, the minute they've got ownership can't get rid of them they're like stuck to you what, go away, it's okay. <laughs> they turn up to church to, like, is there anything you need cutting out today? No. I'll find something. Hold on. Um, but once they've got ownership of it, they, they, these kids will not walk away. In fact, they feel like they're part of something. They feel like they... You, you see kids that go and be part of sports teams. Why do they stay? Because what if their, their team loses every single week? I was part of one of those sports teams. <laughs> um, team lost every single week. What, what if they're part of one of those teams? Why would they stay? Because they feel like they're part of it. They've, they've got ownership over it. Because they're invested into Because it feels like family. And that's what we're doing. That's what Kids Church should be. And that, I felt God just kind of really convict me and go, don't go light on the spiritual stuff. Because that's what we can do. And, and I've been guilty of it. I have done this myself. Where I've gone, let's just have a fun program. We want the kids to keep coming back. And I felt really convicted and challenged by God. Don't go light on the program. Don't go light on the spiritual side of it. Because that's the most important bit. So that's point number one. Feeding our kids spiritually. Giving them what they need in order to be able to connect with Jesus for themselves. And you will be surprised. The minute that those kids start to feed spiritually, the minute they get it for themselves, your kids, something will change in your kids' ministry. Something will change in these kids' schools. Something will change in their families. You get parents coming to you and, what did you do? <laughs> like, the, the same funny words. Oh, no, yeah, no, we, we did this, like, prayer thing and they started speaking in tongues. How do you explain that to a non-Christian parent? <laughs> really difficultly. <laughs> but these are great challenges to have. So the second thing um, that I felt God say was that we need to feed our kids emotionally. And uh, Ian kind of touched on this. He touched on um, hugs. That hugs are, that, you know, Jesus said to embrace the children. Um, hugs actually have a healing power. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, they, they release a, a chemical in our bodies called norepinephrine. I probably haven't pronounced it right, but if I say it confidently, you'll think I have. It's <laughs> um, what I do in kids' ministry. <laughs> so it waits for adults, doesn't matter. But, um, but it releases this chemical into our bloodstreams. It reduces all the stress hormones in our bodies and in our brains, and it lowers our heart rates, making it easier for us to regulate, which is perfect for children. Have you ever had a child walk into kids' church and they are super agitated. They're like like pulling at things and they're like, don't touch me. And they're like throwing things over and they're just, you can see that something's not right. And you're like, kid, what's the matter? And they're like, nothing, fine. 
Well, you're obviously not. And obviously not, don't force hugs on children, please. Um, appropriate touch is important, um, but our, some of our children come to kids' church and they desperately need someone to love them. They desperately need that, that positive touch. And we start, we hug them, and suddenly they just start to, oh, I feel safe. I feel loved. I feel cared for. And now they're more open to listening to what you have to say about Jesus. Because they know that they are safe. They know that they're cared for. Because childhood is a really difficult time. They're learning to negotiate all these new emotions that they've never experienced before. Like, and, and the kids get in trouble all the time for adult emotions, right? So a child has an emotion, which we as adults know what that is, and we give ourselves a break from it. So um, I come home from work, and I snap at Dan, and he's like, right, okay. And I'm like, listen, I've had a hard day, leave me alone. Um, or I'm just hungry, just give me something to eat. Um, and, then, and then I'm fine. I like have something to eat, I have a cup of tea, sit down on the, on the sofa, the dogs jump up on me, and I'm like, oh, feeling better already. Um, but for kids, we give them a really hard time. Don't you dare get angry. Well, that's unrealistic. Children are gonna get angry. In fact, they're probably gonna get a bit more angry than we do at times, because they're, still, they're trying to figure it out. Their brains are like still growing. They've still got all these neurons firing and all these pathways happening, and they're just like, I don't understand what's going on inside my own body. And so saying to them, how do you feel? And they're not gonna to go to you, well, actually today, Elena, I'm feeling a sense of anger with a slight mix of hungry. They're not gonna do that. Instead, they're just gonna be like, I don't know. So my question to them is, do you feel a little bit mixed up? And they're like, yeah, like it's, it's like in there. Okay, no problem, that's fine. But how you respond to how that feeling makes you feel is really important. We gotta we got get good at this. Because as an adult, if I feel angry and I just walk up to Nick and punch him, I am gonna be in trouble. <laughs> so we have to help teach our children not to do that, but how to regulate their emotions, how to, what, what does that mean? It's okay to have all these emotions. You are allowed to feel sad. You are allowed to feel angry. You are allowed to feel ecstatically happy that you can't sit in your chair anymore. You're allowed to have all these feelings, but it's actually helping them in a safe environment to learn how to handle these emotions and these feelings. They need to know that we care. So I've got a little bit of an exercise for you. It's something I learned in trauma training trauma training. Uh, so Dan and myself are um, respite foster carers for level four kids in the system. Um, these are children that have been through, if you know anything about foster care, these kids have been through some of the worst things known to man. Um, genuinely, these children are, are so messed up in the right sense of the word um, that it, it's just horrific. And we have to have special training to deal with some of these children. Um, and so one of the things that we were taught by this lady called Jackie, I mean, she, she's like an incredibly like, intelligent psychotherapist. She's like amazing. Um, and she taught us that children need to see on our faces how we feel, not just be told. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, um, of course. We know that. But, um, so a kid walks into kids' church and, and um, you're like, oh, hi, hi, Billy. And kid's like, well, they're not bothered to see me. 
But inside, you're like, I'm so glad Billy's here, um, but I've got so much I've got to figure out and get on. The computer's crashed, the juices spill everywhere, some kid's already eaten all the popcorn, like, and, and you're like running around, I've got to sort this out. Here's what I want you to do, right? When, a, um, when you see a baby for the first time, what, what, what's the reaction? Show me on your face, what do you do? Oh, oh look it, I can tell you what kids work is. Um, you, you show it on your face, you're like, <laughs> And, um, and you don't care what anyone else thinks about your face because you're so happy to see this baby. Children need the same thing. Now, they're not going to want you to go up to them, oh, I love you! <laughs> but they want, they want you to be like, oh, Joey, it's so good to see you this morning. Dude, you look awesome. It's so good to have you here. And they're like, yes, I'm arrived. I've walked into the room. They're so happy to see me. Doing that for 37 children, right? But it's so important. So I want you to um, turn to a partner. And I want you to greet them with delight. I want you to be like, yeah, come on. Hey, what do you think you're doing? It's okay. 
I've heard you, no problem. Um, we'll do our best to, to help raise the spirits of him and, and, and help you a little bit here. And it's, morning, how are you doing? So glad that you're here this morning. Heard you've had a tough time this morning getting to church. You know what? You're a hero for getting here. I'm so glad you're here. And it's building them up so that when they go back to mum and dad, they've got a full tank. And they're like, they might even say sorry. <laughs> or they might make life a little bit easier for mum and dad because they have been completely inputted into because I love schools, I love teachers, but that's not their main priority. They have so much to do. It's unbelievable. Having worked in a school for the last couple of weeks, you work in a school, oh my goodness, hats off, man. Like, I've been working in a school for the last couple of weeks, just for an hour and a half, doing an RE lesson, and I walk in, and the teachers are all, like, sat in the lunch lounge, like... <laughs> and I walk in, and like, hi, everyone, and they're like, oh, has like, oh, it been a tough day? And they're like, uh-huh. Someone stabs someone in the eye with a fork. Somebody's like fallen over. The ducks are swimming in the playground because it's flooded. Like I walked into the school and there was ducks swimming in the entrance hall, and I was like, right. And I'm terrified of birds, so it was just a horrendous start to my morning. But but school isn't the same kind of place. And you normally find that, that when kids come home from school, they're, they're exhausted. Because they've, they've got a lot to learn. Teachers have a huge amount to get through. I do not envy them in one little bit. Um, and they, they also have to like be nice <laughs> whilst doing all these millions of things. Whereas kids' church, we have a different, we, it's different for us. And we get to just completely input in them. Um, so let's hug them, let's love them, let's listen to them. Actually listen to what they're saying, not what you think they're saying. Actually listen to what is going on in their lives without trying to give them an answer to it. Because some of our children may be going through really difficult situations and they just need someone to listen to. And it is for us to respond appropriately to them. But we want to help them deal with their emotions. We want to help them deal with it. And, you know, I'm in a really privileged position at the minute in our church where I'm working with like middle-class families, with families with the majority of them have got two parents. Um, the majority of them, both parents, are working in well-paid, high-class jobs. Mo the majority of them are coming from homes with um, pretty good structures and boundaries and routines. And these kids are, feel are, are getting love and physical touch on a regular basis. Um, but I worked with children who that was not the case. And the only time they would get a hug was when they came to see me on a Sunday morning. And you just go, how are you getting through the week? You know, physically, hugs change the, the anatomy of our bodies. Yeah. Children that don't receive appropriate physical touch are actually smaller than other children. Yeah. We, we, we work in foster care system, and there's one young man who comes to us every other month for a weekend. And he has done since he was nine, and he's now 14. So he, it was me to start with, and then when we got married, it was the two of us. And when he was nine years old, he was probably about that big. He was really small for a nine-year-old. He was very, very skinny. He didn't have a lot to him. And everyone thought he was about six. And I'm like, oh, no, he's nine. And uh, he's 14 now. He's still small for his age. But in the first year of being with his Christian foster carers, and I say Christian because that's the thing that's made the biggest difference in their home, the, big, the change in him, he went from being tiny to actually starting to grow. And he grew, he grew three sizes in his shoes, he grew four sizes in his clothing in a year. In a year. 
one expensive year. <laughs> that just shows you the power of love and physical affection, appropriate physical affection. This child had experienced inappropriate physical touch from the age of two months old. And he was being loved appropriately and he'd never experienced it before. And he just threw himself at you. He's just like, give me all the love. I want it all. He just throw himself at you. So let's love our kids. Let's help them deal with their emotions and their situ and situations that occur in kids' church. You, you're not responsible for what happens at home. But our situations that occur in kids' church, let's help them to deal with their, their emotions and give them the tools to kind of go with it. Mm. And the third thing I felt God speak to me about was feeding our kids physically. Um, it seems like a bit of an odd one. Um, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but churches are really notorious for treating people. They're like, oh, let's have donuts. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's get cream cakes for after the service, because why not? Um, and when I started working at the church, I said I'm really big into nutrition. I've read a lot of nutrition books. I, I'm not qualified, uh, but I like to think I am. Um, I, I've read a lot into nutrition, especially childhood nutrition. And um, I was just like, well, if every time they come to church, and then every time they go to an after-school club, and then every time they've done well, and then every time it's the weekend, they're being treated. Uh-oh. Like, we've, got, we've not just got to feed their spiritual bodies. We've not just got to feed their emotional selves. We've got to feed their physical bodies as well. Because a child that's hungry won't be able to hear what you're saying to them. Yeah. And you know this as adults. <coughs> like, it's nearly lunchtime, right? And those of you that are really hungry have probably heard like bits and pieces of what I've been saying. And you're just like, I just need a sandwich. I just, I just need to eat something. Because when we're hungry, it affects everything and it affects our stress hormones and, and our bodies start to go, am I starting to starve? What's happening to me? Um, I, I need to eat something. And so one of my big passions is feeding our kids nutritious food. So that's not to say we don't give them sweets. Okay, at the end of a session, every week, they get a sweet out of the sweet box to take home if their team has won. I'm one of those people that doesn't give sweets to everybody just because they've taken part. Um, but I give them to the kids that have won, and then the kids that didn't win that come up to me and go, oh, but I love you so much. Yeah, you can have a sweet too, no problem. Um, bribery works for me. I'm good with it. But some of our kids... If they're hungry, they won't be able to learn. And if we're just feeding them junk, it actually clouds the, the way that yeah, they learn. Right, yeah. mm -hmm. And that's why breakfast clubs are so important at schools. That's why um, a friends of ours ran a breakfast club and they had a waiting list because they had nearly 60 children wow. from a primary school of 130 that weren't getting breakfast in the morning. And they got a waiting list. And I'm like, what is that all about? But like... If our kids aren't being fed physically, then no matter how much love we give them emotionally and spiritually, they're not going to take it all in because their, their bodies are concentrating on the hunger that they're feeling. And, you know, we, we introduced into our kids' church um, snack time, which a lot of, a lot of kids' churches do. Um, I never used to do it. I thought it was a bit... I was like, oh, now I have to go and buy snacks. Like, what's the point? Um, and then in our previous church in Rotherham, there's a young boy that was coming to church every week, and he came at eight o'clock, even though the service didn't start till quarter past nine. And I was always there, and he'd walk in, and he'd be like, "All right, Miss, I hate being called Miss, but they all do it." Um, all right, Miss, um, and I'd be like, "You all right, doll? How's it going?" And he'd be like, "Yeah, I'm just going to grab a cup of tea." And he'd walk over to the tea station, 
a cup of tea, seven sugars. I was like, do you want some milk with your sugar? Um, seven sugars, and, um, and, and he'd look at the plate of biscuits. And I was like, it's early for biscuits, man. And he's like, yeah, no, it is. And, and I was not, I didn't notice that every week he was staring at this plate of biscuits. And I suddenly started to realise that in kids' church, I couldn't get his attention. I'm like, hey, hey, look, Ovi, are you okay? And he's like, glazed, nothing going on. And, um, and then he started to bring with him three younger sisters. And, I mean, he was only eight. Um, he started to bring his, they didn't come with parents to church. They were from the estate. Mum worked like crazy long hours. Mum worked super hard. And it turned out that dad was just a bit of a slob and he wasn't bothered. He'd sit on his Xbox. Mum would come home from nights, go to bed, and dad was meant to look after the kids and he just wasn't kind of bothered. Um, and we thankfully ended up working with a great agency that was able to help them and these kids had started doing really well. But they were coming and, and all of them were staring at this biscuit plate. And I said to them one morning, I says, guys, have you had breakfast? No. And their eyes like little, no, breakfast, food. Hmm? <laughs> um, so I ran into like our um, store that we had for, for feeding the homeless on a weekly basis and just grabbed out some cereal and some milk um, and some toast. And these kids like devoured this box of cereal, four of them, and they're just these little things and they're like eating this stuff. And I was like, guys, what, do you get breakfast? Or oh, we get breakfast when we go to school because we have it at breakfast club. But then on a Friday, uh, on a Saturday and on a Sunday, they don't get breakfast. And sometimes they only get one meal a day, depending on whether dad can be bothered to feed them. So it just depends on what they can reach from the kitchen cupboards to what they can have. And I was just like, right, okay. Safeguarding note locked. Um, but I was like, I can do something about this. So instead of sing sing singling them out and feeding them breakfast every week, we introduced breakfast into kids' church. So the kids would come into kids' church, and we, start, we, we decided to start doing free play for the first 15 minutes, which gave our kids a chance to grab breakfast as well if they wanted it, and sit down and eat it. And so some weeks we had yogurts and fruit, some weeks we had toast with um, butter or with jam, some weeks we had cereals, and these kids were just like, this is the best thing ever. And kids that didn't need it were still eating it, and that was fine. So I was just like, I don't want to single out the kids that... Um, be like, hey, no... You've had breakfast. These kids, their parents don't feed them. Um, imagine the shame, the humiliation. Um, and they, they would come and they would have breakfast. And the crazy thing about these kids was that um, oftentimes, if we were doing something after church, they'd run home, dad would sign a little scrap of paper, and these kids would jump in my car, and I'm like, uh, okay, no problem. And they'd come with me to different church events after church and picnics and stuff like that. And once we started feeding them, we started noticing a massive change in them. They were able to engage. And actually, this young man, I believe that like God has an incredible purpose for his. I believe he has for every child's life. But there just was something incredibly special about him. You know, you, you see a kid and you just see something in them. And I saw something in him and I just, I just started to pray over him. And he would come to church on a Sunday morning and he didn't want to take church's biscuits, so he'd bring his own packet of biscuits to share between the estate kids so that they weren't taking church biscuits. I was like, kid, you're part of church. You don't have to do that. And he's like, it's all right, miss. I don't want, it. I don't want to put anyone out. I'm like, you're eight years old. Like, you're breaking my heart. Um, 
And we started to feed him and feed these kids and they started to do really well for us. And the school had noticed the difference that when they came to early enough for breakfast club, they did really well at school. And when they didn't manage to make it to breakfast club because of different reasons, um, they really struggled in school. And so it's a really small part of what we do. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a pain to buy nice, nutritious things instead of like, like chocolate bars and cakes and stuff like that. But you know what? <coughs> The amount of kids that are just like, fruit? Oh, I've not had fruit for ages. I, I, we had one little girl who was told by the doctors that she, she was deficient in literally every vitamin going. And uh, her mum's like, it's all right, I bought some of those chewy tablets from the shop. I was like, no, you need to give her real vegetables. So I bought her mum a smoothie maker and was just like, give her like proper fruit. And this little girl's like, oh, I don't like fruit. I was like, what fruit don't you like? Don't like apples, oranges and bananas. I was like, you know there's more fruit than that, right? She was like, what? <laughs> it's like, have you ever had watermelon? No. So we, we did a taste test. Watermelons, strawberries, ma you know, all the expensive fruit um, <laughs> that I was now having to buy. Um, watermelons, mangoes, strawberries, blueberries, grapes. Like, and these, she was just sat there going, I, I really like fruit. I really, really like fruit. And um, we just, we, we noticed that once we bridged the gap of hunger, we were able to bridge more gaps with these kids. And, you know, the kids at the church that I'm at now, most of them don't need snack. Most of them are coming to church full tummies. They've had a three-course breakfast, and uh, they're still carrying parts of it in their pockets because they had too much. Um, but, yeah, I would rather do it just in case. I would rather have that. And actually, when they're eating, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, they open up to you a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's not a barrier between you because you're both eating an apple together. There's not a barrier because you're both munching down popcorn. Oh my goodness, popcorn does, goes down so quick in our, in our uh, kids' church. Can't stop them. Um, but you, you, know, you can have conversations with them. They talk to you a bit more about stuff and they just kind of, it's a real life thing. It's not just like Sunday morning where someone stood at the front teaching me about Jesus. We're doing real life together. We're eating food. Lit Jesus ate food with people all the time. Mm -hmm. So why don't we? Yeah. You know, I, I'm a big believer in meals at everything. Yeah. Like, you know, why not? Our small group on a Wednesday night, we have food before because it's all young adults and they don't talk to each other until they've had food. You know, um, <laughs> we, at church events, we, we have food all the time for different things. And I started doing family services once every quarter, which is when our kids in our youth department kind of take over. Um, chaos, chaos every single time. Sprinkles, squirty cream, mushy peas, everything, all over the place. Um, and we started, they used to always just do pastries after the service, and I started buying melon, and I say I bought them, I sent them to the shop. Um, but buying melon and grapes and strawberries and, and good food that meant that anyone that was like gluten free or vegetarian or vegan could eat it too. Um, and, and they were just like, they went so quick, like watermelon and all this sort of stuff, because they were desperate for this stuff. Um, and I'm just like, well, let's give people good food. Let's give our kids good things that fill up their bodies. We're filling up their mind with Jesus. We, we would never, ever say to our children, let's fill, fill them up with bad spiritual stuff. Let's fill them up with voodoo and with Ouija boards. We would never do that. So why do we feed their bodies rubbish? Why do we, why do, we do it? So... That's, that was one of the big things for me. And these three things work really well together. So to teach children about Jesus, they need full tummies and happy hearts. Mm -hmm. 
And, and all these things together, they were preparing a way for seeds to be planted. And you may never get to harvest those seeds, but please plant them. Please keep sowing into these children's lives. Because I've had the privilege of harvesting some seeds that have been planted. And I've made a determination that the generations coming after me will get to harvest even more than I get to. I get to. We're just an hour of a child's week. So ultimate responsibility after all this that I've just said, ultimate responsibility falls at the feet of the parents and carers. It's not your responsibility to check on the behaviour of the children in your kids' church, but it is your responsibility to equip children and families in uh, the things of Jesus. It is our responsibilities to equip them for their journey ahead and to say to parents, here are the tools to help your children learn more about Jesus. Because if they're Christian families, simple, easily done. If they're not Christian families, it's a little bit more of a journey. It's a little bit more challenging. It will require more of your time. But it's so worth it to see children falling in love with Jesus, to see children making a difference. They're not the leaders of the sh tomorrow. They're not the church of tomorrow. They are our church today. Yes. And I hate people saying <clears throat> they're the church of tomorrow. They're not. They're today. They can serve today. They can yeah. give today. They can yeah. change the world that they're in today. Yeah. And if we take down the walls and we take down the barriers and we allow them to flow in the things of Jesus because we've equipped them yeah. with the right things, then my goodness, they can change their world, but they can change our worlds too. Yeah. And it's such a privilege. So um, the two books that I, I, I'd men I mentioned, one of them, Kids of Jesus by Pete Garner. It's, it's a specifically, it's a Christian book written by a Christian kids pastor, and it's a great book. I highly recommend it, super duper, easy to read. I recommend it to everyone that joins my team. The other book that I've quoted a few things from is a book called Why Love Matters. It's not a Christian book. It's specifically about development. It's specifically about brain development more than anything, especially in the first 1,000 days of a child's life, which is from the moment of conception to the age of two. Um, and this book has changed my view of how I speak to children, has changed my view on how I react to children, and has changed how I do kids' ministry, even though it's not a Christian book. Um, so I would highly recommend these books. It's, she's taken the science and she's made it easy, um, which is great for someone like me. Um, so I would highly recommend those books. And let me just encourage you, you're doing an amazing job. Yeah. You are changing, you're making a kingdom difference. Yeah. And I say this to my team all the time, Thank you for the fact that although you may never see it, the kingdom of God is richer because of what you've done today. So thank you so much for giving me time and letting me speak to you and laugh with me. And I hope that in some way I've encouraged you. Thank you very much.